Thank you, Carl. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going to be going in the next uh, several weeks and months. Uh, for the next two weeks, we're going to uh, finish up looking at uh, Jesus's birth and childhood in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and then we'll have our missions festival. Uh, and after that, uh, we're going to jump back into the book of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, a very uh, difficult yet vitally important uh, portion of God's word. And then as the summer uh, arrives, we'll jump back into Luke's gospel and pick up and, uh, as his ministry uh, begins, as Jesus' ministry uh, begins in Luke chapter 3. But now let's turn to Luke chapter 2 and hear God's word. We'll be reading verses 39 and 40, and we'll be jumping down to verse 52. Luke writes, Now when they, that is Joseph and Mary, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to help us as we study his word. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have revealed to us who you are, that you were and are a man, that you grew, that you matured. Oh Lord, would you help us to grasp the heights, the depths, the mystery of, of your incarnation would you help us to grow in our love for you, our knowledge of you, our service of you? We pray this in your holy name. Amen. One of my early email addresses was calebgc at hotmail.com. The G stood for my middle name, Gerard. The C, of course, stood for Cangelosi. Uh, one day, I realized that I was not the only Caleb GC in the world. I, I received a, an email in my inbox of a bill from a high-end florist who had shipped a large bouquet to some office building in New York City. And this was before right, the days where you, know, you got sort of spam email saying that you sign up for Norton antivirus at a cost of $600 for a month. Right, this is before sort of that was happening. And so at first I was just shocked, like, has someone you know, stolen my identity? What is this? But then I looked a little more closely at the email and I realized that the name was wrong. It wasn't Caleb Gerard Cangelosi, it was Caleb Greer Carney. What in the world is this? And I looked and I noticed that there was a phone number. So I said, I'm going I'm to get to the bottom of this. Maybe he wants the receipt for his floral you know, bouquet. So I called him and it, lo and behold, it turned out that Caleb Greer Carney had formerly had the email address calebgc at hotmail.com. I mean, does that even happen anymore? Right? But, but here it was, he had had this email address and somehow it had been on the records of this florist. And so uh, they had had the right address but the wrong identity. Now, I thought of that story as I approached our text this morning because it's often that way for Christians as we think about Jesus. We can have the right address, right? We can, we can be thinking about Jesus Christ, and yet we can have the wrong identity. That is, we, we might not actually know him and think about him as he has revealed himself in the Bible to be. We might not know him as he actually is. 
the God-man. One person in two distinct natures, fully God and fully man. And yet the Christian faith is grounded upon this biblical understanding of who Jesus is. You remember in, in Matthew 16, in Mark 8, in Luke 9, when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Right? There, there is no more foundational question than that. Who is Jesus? It's a question of eternal consequence that we understand and get correct who Jesus is. But to be sure, this, this question is a difficult one, isn't it? The incarnation of the Son of God, the union of two natures in one person, is a difficult doctrine. It can be hard to hold in our minds the fact that Jesus is divine and human. Sometimes we, we so emphasize the humanity of Jesus that we, we downplay or even deny his deity. Other times we so emphasize his deity that we downplay or deny his humanity. And those sorts of pendulum swings don't just happen in a, an individual, but, but we see that they've happened in church history as well. Right? The church from its earliest days had to, had to grow, had to mature in its understanding and its explanation of, of who Jesus is, of what the Bible teaches us about our Savior. Of course, in the first century, there were those who denied that Jesus was God. But as you see, even in the, Old, in the New Testament, while the New Testament was being written, there were those who denied that, that Jesus was human who denied that he had come in the flesh, who called his humanity into question. They said, look, Jesus just seemed to be man. Right? He just appeared to be man. And they thought this because in their minds, it was unthinkable that God would sully himself into to be born in a, in a human form. Right? And you see this, don't you? In, in 2 John verse 7, when John is adamant, Right, that Jesus' humanity is an absolutely necessary part of the Christian faith. He writes this, Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver, he says, and the antichrist. So you see how important the humanity of Jesus was to the Apostle John. But eventually, in, in the course of the, a couple of centuries, the, the church, Christians, Christian teachers began to deny the deity of Jesus. They began to say, oh, Jesus is just the highest creature. Right? Jesus was like God, but, but he wasn't actually God. And so in, in 325, the church gathered in Nicaea. And as we have confessed many times before, it, it wrote, it developed the Nicene Creed. It, it declared unequivocally that Jesus is fully God. The church has always recognized the importance, but it has grown in its ability to explain this truth that, that Jesus is both God and man. Now this morning in our text, Luke wants to help us to learn more and to understand more about Jesus's humanity. And he does this by speaking of Jesus's childhood and youth, his growing up years. Now the Bible doesn't really give us very much information, does it, about the childhood of Jesus, about this stage of, of Jesus's life. The past few weeks, we've been looking at the, the, the Gospels of, of Luke and, and Matthew and about the stories that, that the Bible does give us about uh, what happened during Jesus's childhood. 
Next week, Pastor Dean will be preaching from uh, this passage, Luke 2, verses 41 to to 51, about Jesus as a 12-year-old in the temple in in Jerusalem. But other than that, and and what we can deduce from statements in the Gospels about Jesus' family and his his occupation, we know virtually nothing of Jesus' childhood or his youth. But what Luke tells us in these verses that we've read this morning is remarkable. And it gives us great insight into who Jesus is. Let's think about it. So in verses 40 and 52, Luke tells us what happened during Jesus' first 12 and then his first 30 years. Well, he writes, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. And then in 52, in Jesus' increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, you remember back in chapter 1, verse 80, that Luke has already written this about John, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, about his growth. And these verses, chapter 1, verse 80, and the verses we've read here in Luke 2 about Jesus are reminiscent of the way that, that 1 Samuel, chapter 2, describes the young prophet growing before the Lord. You see, Luke is telling us that Jesus was an ordinary child. Jesus grew up just like John, just like Samuel, just like every child that has been born. He grew, he matured in at least four ways, physically, intellectually, spiritually, and relationally. Let's think about these four together. First, physically, he grew he became strong, Luke tells us, right? That is, his, his human body grows and strengthens. He increases in stature. That is, he, he grew taller as he, as he grew in age, right? Joseph and Mary had the, the ordinary experience of, of parents of watching their firstborn child grow up physically. He cut his teeth. He lost his baby teeth. He grew adult teeth. He started to crawl, then to pull himself up, and then to walk, and then to run. His body got stronger year by year. He outgrew his clothes and his sandals. His voice eventually deepened. He he went through puberty. He started growing facial hair. Like Jesus developed physically just like we do. His muscles, his bones grew just like all of his friends. Muscles and bones were, were growing. He developed the strength that he needed to to be a carpenter, to fulfill his ministry. So Jesus grew in stature. He he grew and and became strong, Luke tells us. He also grew intellectually. His human soul grew in wisdom and in knowledge. That is, he learned what every other Jewish child of the day would have learned, how to count, how to spell his ABCs, or for Jesus, his Aleph, Beit, Gimel's Dalits, right? The Hebrew alphabet. He would have Uh, learned perhaps history, right? We've even seen it in Deuteronomy 6, how the parents were to teach their children of of the history of God's people and of God's dealings with his people. He probably would learn some math. He would learn Aramaic and and Hebrew, maybe even some Greek as he got older. He learned how to work with wood, of course, his father being a carpenter. He learned how to pick a good piece of wood, how to fashion a beam, how to drive home a nail, how to to build a house and furniture and farming implements. He was a a carpenter. He was a woodworker. He might have learned the science of his day about animals, about the, the plants around him, about the heavens the stars in the sky. He would have, he would have learned the, the physics, the biology that they might have had at that day. Jesus grew in both theoretical and in, in practical knowledge, right? His human soul 
grew in wisdom, which leads us to the third realm of growth. He grew spiritually. You see, his human soul didn't only grow intellectually, but we might say spiritually. That is, he was filled with wisdom, and wisdom is more than mere accumulation and use of facts. Wisdom is more than mere intellectual or experiential knowledge. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs 1-7 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Job 28-28, it tells us that, that the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Right? And to depart from evil is understanding. And so in telling us that Jesus increased in, in wisdom and the favor of the grace of God was upon him, Luke is telling us that Jesus grew in his human knowledge of the scriptures. He learned what it meant to fear God and to obey God. He grew in his knowledge of his heavenly father and his experience of God's grace protecting him and guiding him and leading him and supporting him and blessing him. He grew in his understanding of himself, of his mission. We're going to see next week that by the time he's 12 years old, he had come to understand who he was as the son of God, not only the son of, of Mary. Surely what he understood about himself at age 12 was more than what he understood about himself at age five. He grew, his human soul grew spiritually. And then finally he grew relationally. He grew in favor with God and, and men. Luke is actually quoting from Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4, which says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. And Luke is telling us that's what Jesus did. He found favor with God, but also with, with men. People liked him. They wanted to be around him. They, they respected and admired him. Jesus was not reclusive or antisocial. Remember, he does get invited to a wedding. People wanted him to be there. He grew in his interpersonal skills. He, he grew in his ability to relate to other people. Now, Luke tells us all these things about Jesus, but maybe you're scratching your head and, and, you're, and you're, these questions are sort of you know, bouncing around. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Jesus is God, then how can he be said to grow? Growth implies change, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus is omniscient, how can he be said to learn anything? If Jesus is sinless, then how can he be said to, to grow in wisdom or to grow in obedience? I hope you've heard me say multiple times already that the growth that Luke is speaking of here relates not to his divine nature, but to his human nature. His divine nature, of course, admits of no ebbs or flows, no increases or decreases. But his human nature, his human body, his human soul, it grew. We confessed it this morning, didn't we? That from the moment of Jesus' conception, he is one person with two natures that are inseparably joined together in Jesus. The language of the Westminster Confession of Faith is without conversion, without composition, or confusion. That language is actually taken from another creed that the church formulated back in 451 at the Council of Chalcedon, or Chalcedon. This, this language was given to us to declare succinctly what it is the church had learned from the scriptures about Jesus at that point in 451. And what does the Bible teach about Jesus? 
Well, it teaches us that the divine Son of God is at the same time fully human. It teaches us that when Jesus, the eternal Son, came down to earth to become a man, he did not cease to be God. When he ascended up into heaven, he did not cease to be man. He is still the God-man. The Bible teaches us that he is fully God and fully man. He's not, as perhaps you think or have thought in the past, he's not like 50% God, 50% man. It's not sort of like this, this mixture, this compound where you, know, you put some deity together, you put some humanity together, and you have this third compound, you have this third thing. Jesus is sort of this, this amalgam. No. His divinity remains divinity. His humanity remains humanity. His deity is not humanized. His humanity is not deified. The two natures don't sort of you know, transfer attributes to one another. Right? So that the human Jesus right, has, it can be everywhere all at once. No, his human body is, is limited. It's finite. It's at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, fully God, fully man, the God-man, he has both natures. He has all the attributes of those natures. And therefore, this is why we can speak in this way that the sinless Son of God increased in wisdom and the fear of God. Yes, being the divine son, having his human nature conceived by the Holy Spirit miraculously in Mary's womb, being given the Holy Spirit without measure, he had no original sin from Adam. He never did anything sinful. He did not commit one sinful thought, word, or deed. Imagine what it would be like to be a parent of a sinless child, right? And yet, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. How do we put all this together? But we can say that Jesus didn't grow from disobedience to obedience the way that we did as children, that our children do. Rather, Jesus grew from one degree of obedience to another. He grew from faith to faith. From the measure of wisdom befitting a three-year-old and then a five-year-old and a 10-year-old and an 18-year-old. He didn't grow from foolishness to wisdom, but from one degree of wisdom to another. Each new trial, each new temptation was a new opportunity for Jesus to learn. So this is what obedience entails. Likewise, Jesus' divinity, his divine knowledge, his divine power, it doesn't reveal itself immediately or entirely in his life, but, but by degrees, according to the maturity of the, the human faculties and the mission that God had given. It's not as if people in Nazareth walked by and like, oh, look, there's God. Right? Jesus was to them an ordinary boy. It's, it's not like, you know, you've seen the old Superman with, you know, six-year-old Clark Kent lifting the car off of his dad. It's not like Jesus went around, like, lifting chariots off of people. Right? That's not the way that his... His deity came forth. No, we, we read in Philippians 2 that Jesus hid his divine power and glory. Right? He took the form of a servant. It didn't shine through the way it did in the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' human mind knew only and all that which was appropriate for his mission at, at each time. He only used divine resources to transcend human limits of knowledge and power when the Father's will dictated that it was necessary for his mission on earth. Now look, this is a mystery, isn't it? 
the incarnation of the Son of God. Your head is hurting now. My head is hurting now. How do we make sense of this? How do we understand the person of Christ, fully God and fully man? The incarnation is a great paradox. Right? Jesus has all the attributes of human nature, createdness, finitude, dependence, ignorance, mutability, embodiedness, mortality. But he's also the creator. He's infinite. He's independent. He's omniscient, immutable, and invisible, immortal. How do we hold these two things together? We hold them together in faith because the Bible has revealed both of them to us. The word became flesh. The eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. Without ceasing to be who he was, he became what he was not. And he remains both God and man forever in one person. One person in two natures. Now let me... Let me close by making some applications for us. The first is this. If what I'm saying is true, and I believe it is, based upon the word of God, even the text that we've looked at this morning, then these glorious realities ought to cause us to stop, to worship, to wonder, to put our hand over our mouth and adore our Savior This is who Jesus is. He is so glorious, so beyond all comprehension, and yet he has condescended that that we might know him, that we might know him. I think it was John Piper who put it like this, in Jesus meet infinite glory and the lowest humility, infinite majesty and transcendent meekness, equality with God and deepest reverence for God, infinite worthiness of good, and greatest patience to suffer evil, supreme dominion and exceeding obedience, divine self-sufficiency and childlike trust. You see, if the sum and substance of, of being a Christian consists in knowing and loving Jesus more and more every day, if we will marvel for the rest of our life as we behold the lion who is also a lamb, the shepherd who is also a lamb, then let us begin to marvel now. You may be in this room as an apathetic agnostic. You're skeptical of everything I've said. You said, this is ridiculous. This Christianity stuff, it's just filled with all sort of irrational ideas. But I want to challenge you. Let the text confront you. Begin to consider the person of Jesus. Begin to consider who He said that he was. Read the Gospels. Wrestle and grapple with what he said about himself. But maybe you're a believer this morning, but you are spiritually dry. You're wilted like a flower. This glorious truth, this glorious person, Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, he will cause your heart to thrive again. Meditate upon him. Maybe you're in the valley of the shadow of death and disappointment and despair. Look outside of yourself. Look to Christ. Look to the God-man who can sympathize with all of your sufferings, all of your weaknesses, all your infirmities, all your temptations. And yet he was without sin. And therefore he has not only all compassion and ability to understand, but he has all power to relieve and to strengthen and to protect you. That's the first thing I would say. 
wonder, adore, marvel, meditate upon Jesus. But second, remember this. Remember that Jesus condescended to take a human nature, to become flesh, to grow as a child for us and for our salvation. We must never separate the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus. He is the second Adam. He is the unfallen man. He is the true blessed man of Psalm 1 that we've sung this morning. He is the one who lived our human life perfectly and then died our death undeservedly and graciously. How does Hebrews 2 put it? Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He had to be made like his brethren in all things that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to give his life as an offering. He had to become a man that he might save men and women and boys and girls, that his death on the cross might be credited to our accounts. The fourth century church father Gregory of Nazianzus once wrote this, the unassumed is the unhealed. The unassumed, that which Jesus has not taken, a human body, a human soul, is the unhealed. But Jesus has taken a human body and a human soul so that he might heal us, that he might be the one and the source of healing for all that the Father has given to him. So as you think about the person of Jesus, think immediately about the work of Jesus. He became a man to die, to rise again from the dead, to sit on the throne of his Father in heaven. The dust of earth sits upon the throne of heaven. There is a man reigning and ruling over this universe. Remember that. When you read of stories in the news of, 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 of human presidents and human kings and human dictators who would seem to, to, to wreck the prospects of the church, who would seem to destroy lives, there is a man on the throne of the universe. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth to a man who is also God, Jesus the Christ. But third, let me apply this glorious text to you children, to you youth. I want you to hear the same things that I shared with the, the little kids. I want you to hear what Luke says here. Do not miss the fact that Jesus knows exactly what it is like to be you. He knows exactly what it was like to be five, to be 10, to be 15, to be 20. He was your age once. Don't forget that, boys and girls. Remember, as you get to know Jesus from the Bible, that he knows the experiences that you're going through. He knows your struggles. He knows your temptations of childhood and youth. Jesus was a young child. He has an intimate knowledge, a close knowledge of your situation. And therefore, he can help you when you cry out to him. You're not helpless because of Jesus. You have a Savior in heaven, boys and girls, who is perfectly suited to be your friend. He's the best friend you could ever have. And so as you read this passage, I want you to see Jesus as a boy, as a, he wasn't a girl, but if you're a girl, as a child, just like you, 
I want you to run to him in prayer. I want you to, 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 to read the Bible and learn more about Jesus, boys and girls. I want you to come to worship, to worship Jesus, who was a child like you are. I want you to look to him as your savior and as your example. Lean on him daily for strength. Don't ever forget that Jesus was your age. And finally, to you who are parents, grandparents, or to those who want to be parents or grandparents one day, here's the thing. The reason why I wanted us to read Deuteronomy 8, Deuteronomy 6. If Jesus grew in wisdom, then it stands to reason that Jesus learned this wisdom in part by listening to and by watching his parents, Joseph and Mary. We see here in this text, in verse 39, that Jesus was born into a godly family. We've already noticed the ways that they obeyed God in every circumstance surrounding Jesus' birth, his early years. Here, verse 39 says that they were faithful to perform everything related to Jesus' birth according to God's law. Next week, we're going to see how it was according to their habit that they went to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover each year. They were serving the Lord. Surely 2 Timothy 3.14 applies to Jesus as well. From childhood, he was acquainted with the, the Holy Scriptures that were able to make him wise. He watched his parents. He watched them love the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And they certainly taught him as Deuteronomy 6 instructed them. And so parents, grandparents, do not forget that God is pleased to use your godliness, your instruction to draw the next generation to himself. Do not forget that you have a responsibility to, to teach your children, to teach your grandchildren. You may not have kids, but you've raised your hand, if you remember this church, to support parents in the Christian nurture of their children. You too are being watched. You too have an opportunity to speak a word, to teach Sunday school to grab a kid in the hallway and to encourage him, to correct him, to point him to Christ. God tells us in Genesis 18, verse 19, why he has chosen us. And he says this, I have chosen Abraham so that he might command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Parents, grandparents, this is our calling. If Jesus grew as a human, as a boy, and Joseph and Mary were there, forever long Joseph was there with them, Mary there to the very end, they were there teaching. Now certainly, as we'll see next week, they didn't understand everything, did they? Right. But they were there, teaching, living. May we too, as parents, as grandparents, as we learn of our Savior here in this passage, may we too, teach our children about Jesus, about the God-man, their only hope of salvation, their only hope of having a right relationship with God on the last day, the only one who can rescue them from their broken lives, their broken relationships, their wayward and sinful hearts. Point them to Jesus. Point them to who he is, to what he's done. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for sending your Son Lord, we can't fathom to the bottom all the glory, all the majesty of Jesus, the God-man. But Lord, we believe your word 
Help us to understand more every day. Help us to dive deep into the scriptures. Lord, we pray for our children, the next generation, that they too would love the Savior that you have given us a heart to love. Lord, we ask that you would help us as we go forth to tell the world about this glorious Savior who reigns and rules, who has given himself for sinners on the cross, who speaks truth to us through the scriptures. Lord Jesus, would you exalt yourself through us here at Orchard Presbyterian Church? Or would you be pleased to transform us into your likeness by your truth, by your grace, together as a body? Lord, help us to live for your glory. Would you reveal your glory more and more to us? Lord, we thank you for the privilege of reading Luke's gospel, of seeing you as you are, as you were on earth, as you are even now in heaven. You have been glorified. Your humanity has been glorified, and yet you are still human. And so we long for that day when we will see you as you are. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.